0: Well, the year was about 735 B.C. The kingdom of Israel had been divided for about 200 years now, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. You see, under the United Kingdom, after those first three kings, Saul and David and Solomon, the kingdom divided. Divided and they each, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, they each had about 20 kings. All of them in the north had been evil, following the ways of Jeroboam. Uh, Most in the south uh, of the line of David had been good. Well, most. About 735, a young man named Ahaz ascended the throne of, of, of Judah. He was 20 years of age when he became king, and he uh, reigned for some 16 years. You read about his short story in 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles chapter 28. There we read these words, 2 Kings 16. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, of those evil northern kings. He even made His son pass through the fire, sacrificed His son alive to Molech. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel, He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. This is an evil southern king. Second Chronicles 28, we read many of the exact same Words, but additionally we read he, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for Baal or, or, or Baal. As a result of his evil idolatry, we find that he was handed over by God, handed over to Rezin, king of Aram, that's that's modern day Syria, and to Pikah, the, the king of that northern kingdom of, of Israel. These two kings formed an alliance and and came against Ahaz, king of Judah. Well, you think that Ahaz would have uh, awakened and smelled uh, smelled the coffee, but uh, cry out to the Lord, his God, to to Yahweh. But instead, he did something rather startling. He sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. And and he actually said this, I am your servant and, and your son. Come up and, and deliver me from the hand of, uh, of the king of Aram and, and from the hand of the king of Israel who are rising up against me. Not only that, he, he took articles of silver and gold from the house of the Lord, that is from the temple itself, and sent them as a present to the king of Assyria. He, he sacrificed that which had been devoted to the God of Israel, to Yahweh, and, and gave them to another king. King he thought would help. Now now you have to understand that the Assyrian Empire was a, 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 a world power at this time, but they it was a vicious, cruel, evil Empire. So so this Ahaz calling out to Assyria was not good. Ahaz was in trouble. And Ahaz turned to the wrong king for help. I mean Think about it. He could have turned to the king of the universe. He could have repented of his evil ways, cried out to Yahweh, and been delivered. Oh, uh, to be sure, Tiglath-Pileser did come and and help. He went up against Damascus, the capital city of of Aram, and and he captured it, and he he defeated both Aram and Israel. King Ahaz even made the trip up to Damascus to uh, to meet his Savior King. These events ultimately led to the final defeat, uh, deportation, and captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel just over a decade later, about 722 B.C. Here's my point. People are always turning to the wrong king for deliverance, always turning to the wrong place, the wrong person, the wrong things to be their savior, to, to be their king, to whom they will bow down. To be the controlling center of their lives, they're always turning to the wrong place, the wrong person to give them meaning. If I can only find it in this relationship, or in my in 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 my marriage, in in my spouse, in my in my boyfriend, in my girlfriend, in my education, in my job, it, it's there that I can find deliverance. I can find I'll find hope. I'll find help. I'll find peace. I'll find value. I'll find rescue. I'll find fulfillment. And I want to tell you this morning that that will never, ever work. But I do want to tell you about another Savior King who at this particular event that I just described was promised to come. We read about it in Isaiah chapter 7. You can turn there if you'd like. I'll put it up on the screen for you as well. You see, during this time that King Ahaz was the king of Judah and was in trouble facing invasion from Aram and, and Israel, there was a prophet in Judah named Isaiah. He, he'd been a prophet for some years now since the time of Ahaz's grandfather. whose name was Uzziah and, and his father, whose name was Jotham. Both of these guys, Uzziah and Jotham, had, had been good kings. They had done that which was right in the eyes of, of the Lord, but then along, along came this Ahaz. So, so God sends Rezin and Pekah, the respective kings, to to Judah in judgment. And and then perhaps to turn Ahaz back to the Lord. And and we read about this event in Isaiah's prophecies in Isaiah chapter 7. Look at it with me. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the the son of Jotham, that was his dad, and the son of uh, Uzziah, uh, that's his grandfather, king of Judah, uh, that Rezin, the king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. Now Second Chronicles twenty eight, that parallel passage tells us it was because of his evil that God handed Ahaz over to to, to Rezin and, and Pekah. So these two kings made the journey south to to, to lay siege to Jerusalem, the capital of, of Judah, when it was reported. To the house of David saying the Arameans have camped in, in Ephraim. That's another name for, for Israel, that northern kingdom. They've camped in Ephraim. His heart, Ahaz's heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. In other words, they were scared to death. They needed deliverance. They, they needed rescue. They needed, they needed salvation. So then, then the Lord, that's that Yahweh, said to Isaiah, that's our, that's our prophet. Go now and meet Ahaz, you and your son Sheerjashab at the at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway in the Fuller's field. That's like we said, go to Miller's farm, turn left, third oak tree on the right. So that's what that is. And say to him, Ahaz, to take care and be calm, have no fear, and do not be faint-hearted because of these. Two stubs of smoldering firebrands on, on account of the fierce anger of Rezin and, 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 and Aram and, and the son of Rumelia, that's, that's Pekah. Don't, don't be scared of them because Aram with, with Ephraim, that's Israel, and the son of Rumelia, that's Pekah, they, they plan this evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrorize it and make for ourselves a breach in its walls, and we'll, we'll set up the son of, of, uh, of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Who is to build? I have no idea, but I do know this. He was not a son of David. He had no business being the king of Judah. Thus says the Lord God, Ahaz, it, it shall not come to pass. It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the, for the head of Aram is Damascus. The capital city is Damascus. And, and the head of Damascus, that capital city, is, is Rezin, the king. Now listen, know, know this. Within another 65 years of Ephraim, that's, Israel will be shattered. So that it is no longer a people. And that, by the way, happened. When Esarhaddon, a future king of Assyria, colonized the northern kingdom of, of Israel with foreigners. They, they'd already taken out. The, the northern kingdom, and now they, except for the poorest of the poor, and, they, they, and Ezra hadn't brought in uh, foreigners, and they intermarried, and they became what we know in the New Testament as Samaritans. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son, is Pekah, this son of Remali. If you will not believe, and he's talking about resident Pekah, if you will not believe, you shall not surely last. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Listen, Ahaz, ask for a sign. Ask a sign for yourself for the Lord your God. Make it it whatever you want. Make it as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. Ask for a sign, Ahaz. Ask whatever you want. As deep as Sheol, the place of the dead, as high as the very heavens. Whatever you want, you ask for it and I will give it to you. Well, what was God doing here to this evil king? He's trying to awaken faith. And Ahaz, he's trying to turn him back to God. He's trying to turn him away from his idolatry. Ahaz, he's saying, "I'm, I'm right here. He's saying this. He's saying, you are turning to the wrong Savior King for deliverance. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now, at first glance, that appears kind of spiritual. It's not. He is saying, I will not ask. Yahweh, you see, I don't serve him. I'm going to go to another king I trust, Tiglath-Pileser. I'm going to go test that king because that's the one that I trust because people are always turning to the wrong place for help. They're always turning to the wrong savior king. Then he, that is Isaiah, said, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men? Is it it too little for you to to try my patience that now you will try the patience of my God as well? Is that what you're doing here, Ahaz? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. She will call his name Manuel. And I know we've been singing about Emmanuel. That's just the Latin spelling of Emmanuel. Emmanuel, he will, he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land uh, whose two kings you dread, those those two guys, Pika and Rezin, their land will be forsaken. Here you go, Ahaz. Since you won't turn back to God, since you won't seek him for a sign, God himself will give you one. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. We know that verse, right? You kind of wonder, what in the world is Scott doing this morning? I had no idea. wonder what he's talking about. Well, it's Christmas and, and all of that. I know that verse. Well, finally we got there, but let's look at it in its context. You see, we have to stop right here and ask, well, who is this Isaiah talking about? Who is this son to be born to this virgin? Well, lots of discussion about that. The word for virgin in Isaiah 7 is actually the word Alma. And and, and by definition, if we were to define it strictly, it is a young woman of marrying or marriageable age. It's a young woman who's old enough to be married. She's not married Get this, and in Israel at this time, that meant she was a virgin, all right? That's synonymous. To not be married is to be a virgin. She's a maiden. She's a young woman, not yet married, old enough again to be married, mature enough to have a child, but still a virgin. In fact, the other uses of Alma in in the Old Testament make it very, very clear that while she's not married, since she's not married, she's still a virgin. In fact, in fact, when the Greek translation of the Old Testament appeared, was written about 200 B.C., um, they chose the Greek word parthenos for, for translating this word virgin, which is the Greek word for virgin. So, so this woman, whoever she is, a, a, a virgin, apparently while Isaiah refers to her, she's going to have a child. And before this child to be born is old enough to know right from wrong, in other words, while this child is still an infant, the land of those two kings, Pekah and and Rezin, will be forsaken. That's the prophecy. That's the sign. God, he is saying, here's what he's saying. God is the Savior King to whom you should turn. God is the is the Deliverer. God is the one to whom you should turn for rescue. God is the one to whom you should turn to find meaning in life. But we're always turning to the wrong place, aren't we? And next question is, who is this young virgin maiden who will soon have a child? And before this child is even a toddler, those guys in the north will no longer be a problem. This is where there becomes a fair degree of discussion. Basically, two lines of argument here. And It goes like this. Stay with me. Just stay with me for a few more minutes. It's either a single fulfillment or a double fulfillment. What's that mean? Well, those who hold to what's called a single fulfillment says, this is obviously referring to the birth of Jesus, since there can only be one child who was ever born of a virgin. And that, that's true. But we got a problem. The problem is Jesus, Jesus wasn't born for another 700 years. So, how was that assigned to Ahaz that and, and these two kings are going to be wiped off the planet? Those who say it's a double fulfillment suggest there is a first minor fulfillment in Isaiah's time, then a second, ultimate, greater fulfillment at Jesus' birth. They suggest that this woman was, at the time of the prophecy, a, a virgin, just like. Just like Isaiah said, she was probably engaged. And soon thereafter, she got married. She, she had a son whose name, whose title would, would be Emmanuel. I doubt that they actually call him Emmanuel, you know, went to the door and said, Hey, Emmanuel, it's time to come home for dinner. No, it's probably just a title. That, that's the purpose of this sign. Ahaz, a, a child's going to be born with this title, Emmanuel. It's a, it's a sign to you, see, that God is. Is with you. Here's the point, Ahaz. You don't need to call on this Assyrian king. You have another king, the divine Savior King, who is with you and who will deliver you if you'll just look in the right. Please, just look in the right place. And and proof of that fulfillment uh, 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 of that will be the fulfillment of this prophecy. Those two kings up north will no longer be a problem. But, of course, the second and ultimate fulfillment is found in the birth of the divine Savior King who will deliver His people as well. Our oppressor will no longer be a problem. Now, I loosely hold to that second interpretation that a child was... Soon to be born to this maiden. In other words, she gets married and she, she has a boy who was the maiden. She's unnamed. Two guesses that scholars make here. Either she's Isaiah's fiancé or Ahaz's fiancé. And the son was either then soon to be born, Isaiah's son. Write this down. You may be looking for a name the next time you have a child. Meher Shalahashbaz. Or it... Or it could be Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. I actually think the timing fits Isaiah's son better since Hezekiah was already born um, by this time. So so Isaiah gives the prophecy per the word of the Lord. He then goes and gets married immediately, has a son. And before the son is even a toddler, the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. This is really exciting, Scott. I'm sure you have noticed that this story has that famous Christmas truth. Behold, the virgin will be with child. She's going to bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's right out of Matthew's gospel in his account of the birth of Jesus. Obviously, that's why I'm recounting this very scintillating history. But, but why? Why? Well, well, well. first, you have to know that even in the time and the days of Isaiah, there is some strange language in Isaiah seven fourteen. There's some language there that would have puzzled the original readers. For example, Isaiah actually says, the virgin shall be with child. Not a virgin, the virgin. He means to point someone out S- significant, a significant young lady. But in Isaiah, we don't even know what her name is. We don't even know who she is. And the virgin shall be with child. Okay, I, I, I get that. I think she was a virgin, right? Got married and then got pregnant. That's why Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, used the word Alma, a young woman of mar- marrying age. And he didn't use the technical word Hebrew word for, for virgin, I mean that kind of makes sense, but it's still, I mean, as you're reading this, you kinda re- your eyebrows go up. That seems see, it doesn't when you read it, because you kind of get it, but you're reading it the first time and you're going, Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait just a minute. A virgin's gonna have a a baby? That's kind of odd. And then he says, and she shall call this child Emmanuel. This is the first time that this word Emmanuel appears in the Bible, and it means God with us. Okay, we kind of get that a little bit. God is with us, we say, because we are God's chosen people, they would say. We're Israelites. But that is kind of an unusual way to say it, Emmanuel. God with us, it's a little bit different. And to the Jewish reader, at the time this was written 700 years before the birth of Jesus, they would have been a little puzzled. They would have scratched their heads, kind of odd. Then you go over to the next chapter. Isaiah chapter 8. And, and we read these words. So I, that's Isaiah, I approached the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. Aha, okay, this is making sense. Then the Lord said to me, name him, Meher Shalahashbaz, which means by the way, swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. In other words, this is what this word means. The prophecy is gonna happen quickly, right? You're going to take care of Aram. You're going to take care of Israel. It's going to happen really, really fast. For before the war, the boy knows how to cry out, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria, that's Israel to the north, will be carried away by the king of Assyria, the one to whom you, you turned, Ahaz, The Lord spoke to me further, saying, Inasmuch as these people, the people of Israel and Aram, by the way, have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh, that's, that's the river that comes out of, of Jerusalem, and, and, and rejoice in resin and the, and the son of Remela, that's Pekah, those two evil kings, in, in, in that their people rejoice in these kings. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates. He's using a metaphor here. Even the king of Assyria, who comes from the east, from the Assyrian Empire, the king is going to come in all of his glory, and he's going to rise up over the channels. It's going to go over all its banks. Then it it will sweep on into Judah. Whoa, stop. Stop. What is Judah here? I thought he was going to take care of Damascus. I thought he was going to take care of Samaria. I, was going to, I thought he was going to take care of Aram and, and, and Israel. What is this Judah? It's going to overflow and pass through. It will reach even to the neck. It's almost going to drown you. And the spread of its wings will fill the breath of your land. This is, this is bad news. Oh, Emmanuel. Do you see what God is, is saying here? Yes, God is going to deliver Judah from Aram and, and, and from the northern kingdom of Israel, but, and it, but He's going to use the king of Assyria to do it. That's what you've wanted, isn't it, Ahaz? Isn't that what you've done? You've called for the wrong savior, king. And so this Assyrian king will flow through Damascus and, and Israel, and he did. Both Rezin and Pekah died in 732, A few years later in 722, Assyria came through and conquered Israel, that northern kingdom, and carried them off into captivity. But Assyria, when they did that, even threatened Judah. The river flowed up to the neck. But not to worry, verse 8, oh Emmanuel, God with us, He, we have a Savior King who will deliver us. The problem is we are always looking to the wrong place for deliverance. The problem is we're always looking to the wrong Savior King. So we come till to, to, to we, to we find that the one to whom we've turned never, never meets the need. And we cry out, oh, Emmanuel. Never will. You see, the promise is made to both Abraham and David we here at, at stake. God had promised Abraham that through one of his descendants, all the nations of the world would be blessed. From Abraham would come the Savior King. And he promised David that a descendant of David would forever sit on the throne. So, so God steps in when Ahaz is messing it up. God steps in to fulfill the promises this is the first fulfillment, God with us, O Emmanuel. He will rescue us. He will deliver us. But there is still that second fulfillment, a greater fulfillment in Matthew chapter 1. You see those puzzling questions that come from Isaiah chapter 7 are solved with the birth of this other son, this second son, this Jesus who is called the Christ. And even as we read the account of Matthew, you have to know that there are some rather unusual things that are happening here, some unusual words, some unusual titles given to this child who was born. But then when we put it all together, we come away amazed. You see, we're supposed to at the truth of the first Christmas. Matthew starts his gospel, his account of the life of Jesus with his genealogy, the genealogy of Jesus. You see, the Jews are Matthew's primary audience And if he is going to prove that Jesus is indeed that promised Messiah, the fulfillment of the promises, the the, the one who is coming to bring ultimate deliverance, then he's got to have the right pedigree. So the very first verse reads, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, notice, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, if he's going to fulfill the promises made to Abraham and David, he's got to be their son. So Matthew gives the required proof. Now, from here, Matthew says Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and so on. We kind of get that. We, we get to Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, David, the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That's where the kingdom was divided. And we keep reading, right? And we say, and we get to Uzziah, who was the father of Jotham, and Jotham was the father of Ahaz. That's Ahaz. That's our Ahaz. This is all coming together now. We, we keep going till we get to Jacob, the, the father of Joseph. The husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. Did you notice the switch? You're supposed to notice. Father begets son, who then begets son, who then begets son, who then begets begets Joseph, who then does not beget son, who, who does not beget Jesus. That's interesting. You see, we are supposed to notice. He's the husband of Mary who had... Jesus. So, why this difference? Let me tell you, Matthew says. Let me tell you the story of the birth of this Jesus, because it's unusual, it's different, and we find in this text that He is the ultimate fulfillment of the Isaiah 7 passage. Look at it with me. Matthew 1, 18 says, Now, having just said He wasn't born to Joseph, well, now the birth And that's actually the the idea of begetting the birth of Jesus. Christ was as follows. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away privately. But, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, notice that. The angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name, he called his name Jesus. Did did, did, did you see it? Did you see that Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus? That's why he had to tell the story of the birth of Jesus. Joseph did not begat Jesus, Jesus. Mary was the mother. Now, now I'm, I'm not going to get into it today, but if you read Jesus' genealogy in Luke chapter 3, it's different. It, it's different completely, and not completely, but it's a lot different from this one because it's... It's not Joseph's genealogy in Luke chapter 3. It's Mary's. Why is that important? What that means is that Jesus did have the necessary bloodlines from Mary through Abraham and David to be the Messiah. But then we get to the last verse of Matthew chapter 1. It says, Joseph named the child Jesus. Joseph named the boy. That's important. That means Joseph legally adopted Jesus. That means Jesus had both the legal and biological pedigree to be the Messiah, But here's what I want you to see on this Sunday before Christmas. For for the next couple of minutes, I want you to see how unusual the birth of this son was. You, You see, there are some unusual circumstances which demonstrate how he exclusively, uniquely, and ultimately fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7. We're supposed to notice. First notice, Mary was found to be with child because she was betrothed while well, she was betrothed to Joseph but before they came together that means before they came together physically sexually intimately you probably know uh, that in the Jewish world you you would get engaged for up to a year it's more than our engagement today it was a betrothal they were even called husband and wife and if you decided to break up you would take a divorce but you didn't live together you didn't consummate the marriage physically so, during this betrothal period, this maiden, a young woman of marrying age, who really was a virgin, was found to be with child. Oh, that's why Isaiah chose that word. This is miraculous. How can this be? This was Mary's question to the angel. We, we, we know that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Through the Spirit overshadowed her, and she became pregnant with a son. That leads to the next important thing. She's pregnant, notice, with a son. Whose son? Well, certainly hers, but the Scripture is clear that this was a divine conception. This was none other than the very Son of God. But, but that's not all. In addition to her being, uh, to, uh, to being born of the Holy Spirit so that He was the Son of God, He said, the angel is very clear, I want you to call his name Jesus. Okay, we got that. Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua, which is really Yeshua or Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. I think I remember hearing that somewhere. Okay, I get that. I want you to name him Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, because the Lord saves. the lord god saves i okay i i kind of get that but notice name him jesus because he will save his people from their sins who is the one doing the saving here name him the lord saves because he this one born will save his people from their sins this is most unusual you're supposed to notice it's most unusual Brings us to that famous verse, verse 23. Here, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, and he applies it not to the son of some unnamed maiden, the wife of Isaiah, but he applies it to this virgin. Her name is Mary. And we are to understand that she was indeed still a virgin when she gave birth. You see... Verse 25 says that Joseph woke up and did as the angel commanded. He took Mary as his wife, and she remained a virgin until she gave birth to her son. How can you remain a virgin and still give birth unless it is miraculous? And they named him Jesus. He named him Jesus. Back to verse 23, the virgin. Not just any virgin, the virgin shall be with child, not just any child, the child, and shall bear a son, and not just any son, but the son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel. just so there's no confusion, Matthew translates it for us, God with us. Not God is with us, but God with us. And all of a sudden, that unusual title begins to make sense. You see, this is the wonderful, unusual truth of Christmas, that God Himself would be born Of a virgin. He would wrap himself in human flesh. He would come to earth to save his people. He would come to earth, you see, to be the Savior King, because we are always looking in the wrong place for Saviors. To save them not from some northern invaders, to save them not from some Assyrian or Babylonian king, to save them not from Roman tyranny, the Roman empire, which is what the Jews of Jesus' day were looking for, by the way, but to save them from the ultimate tyrannical oppressor, to save them from their very own sin. The birth of this son was unique, and it changed the course of history. In fact, it changed the course of eternity. The Word, the very Word of God became flesh, and lived for a while among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son. Make no mistake about it, not the Son of Joseph, but the Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And He then becomes to us Emmanuel, God of very God with us. And I want to say to you this morning that no other religion makes that claim. No other religion contains that truth. No other religion offers that Hope, salvation, you see, from the very tyranny of sin. God with us. So here's my question to you as we close this morning. To whom are you looking? To whom do you look to be your Savior King? Who who is it that you think will give you ultimate purpose and value and and meaning in life? Who is it that you think will be your deliverer? Who is it that you think will rescue you? Who is it that you think will bring you salvation? salvation, who is it? There is one Savior King who alone can rescue, who alone can deliver, and my encouragement to you is not to look to the wrong Savior King. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded this morning of how Jesus came born of a virgin who had been overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been reminded who He was, the very Son of God. We have been reminded why He came to save His people from their sins. And so the thing that remains is for us to ask and answer the question, to whom are we looking for deliverance? To whom are we looking for salvation? There can only be one Savior, King, and His name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, in Christ's name.
1: The meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, it is wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder, angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. His legions fly apace. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it let satan come to you suddenly and do you but whisper the word god with us and back he falls confounded and confused satan trembles when he hears that name god with us it is the laborer's strength How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort, is the balm of his woe, is the alleviation of his misery, is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, is the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glorified, is the song of the redeemed, is the chorus of angels, and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky.